Hey everyone, it's me, Paulie from Rat Depot here. I'm here once again to narrate the latest letter, which is called Send in the Clowns. So, approximately 11 minutes walk from King's Cross Station in London, there is a public park, Joseph Grimaldi Park. Once the burial grounds for St. James's Anglican Chapel, tombstones in the centre now lean against the fencing for a colourful basketball court. Nearby, two coffin-shaped graves in the ground produce music when you step on them, an artwork by Henry Krokatsis introduced in 2010 to honour one of the most influential performers of the 19th century and the park's namesake, Joseph Grimaldi. Grimaldi's own final resting place is close by, adorned with the masks of theatre. Born in 1778 London as the son of Italian immigrants and entertainers, Grimaldi made a reputation for himself early on as a performer in London's theatres, initially taking minor roles as monkeys, imps, fairies and demons, the four genders of theatre, with pure gumption folks. During one performance as a monkey, Joseph's father swung him around by a chain until the chain snapped and Jerry went flying into the orchestra pit below the stage. Such were the vibes for young J-Dog. In the years that followed, Grimaldi would take on the guise of a clown in various productions, from pantomimes to punch, Judy's husband that is, but the clown we are most interested in, my friends, is Joey. Depicted above and above again, Grimaldi developed the look of Joey the Clown in 1802 for an Easter pantomime at Sadler's Wells Theatre. The all-over white face paint, red blush on the cheeks and lips became the most iconic clown serve of the century, and one that endures to this day as a popular choice for clown performers. By the end of 1802, Grimaldi was the sole clown at Sadler's Wells and a fan favourite. The rest is a very long, very interesting history, a history that culminates in economic and physical ruin for our boy, who then attempted suicide with his wife by drinking poison, resulting in non-fatal stomach cramps. A truly clown-like exit from life, Joey would later get absolutely wasted at a party and die in his bed. The coroner would record that he died, quote, from a visitation by God. Grimaldi died in 1837 and went to clown heaven, which was fairly empty at the time, but since become a buzzing spot, probably. Jump to 2023 and Grimaldi's influence is undeniable. The Grimaldi Memorial Service, held in East London every February, attests to his iconography, as dozens of clowns flock to pay tribute in their own Grimaldi core garb. The white face print and red accent is still an identifiable mark of what we call a clown. Do you have a favourite clown design, or in fact a favourite clown? Do you find them repulsive and terrifying? Cool! Let's explore some of my favourite clown designs and pay homage to the painted weirdos of past and present. So the next section is called I'm Piero, I'm Everyman. In 1976, David Bowie gave an interview stating, I'm Piero, I'm Everyman. What I'm doing is theatre and only theatre. What you see on stage isn't sinister, it's pure clown. I'm using myself as a canvas and trying to paint the truth of our time on it. Likely influenced by his time studying with mime artist Lindsay Kemp, who starred in Piero in Turquoise or The Looking Glass Murders in 1970, alongside Bowie, Bowie incorporated the choreography and iconography of mime into some of his performances, including the Piero look in the Ashes to Ashes music video from 1980. But who is this Piero? Another creation we can originally thank the Italians for, Piero meaning Pierre or Peter, is a pantomime clown that contrasts with the Grimaldi type of slapstick drunkard clown. 
Donning similar white face paint, Piero is often depicted as a sad clown and is seen as a close relative of the mime figure. Piero was originally popularised by Italian performers based in 17th century Paris. Unlike his British drunkard cousin, Piero is preoccupied with pining for his lover Columbine, who frequently cheats on him. Man can't catch a break. Like many clowns before and after, Piero speaks to a deeper sense of being inadequate, or in a more radical sense, disenfranchised. We live in a society type vibes. This may explain how Piero became a useful persona for Bowie, who repeatedly used his stardom to highlight issues in contemporary society. Bowie also used the Ziggy Stardust persona, who was an alien, to similar effect on the now cult album from 1972. To me though, Piero is simply the drippiest clown and my personal favourite, and here's some Piero pieces that I love. I'm very excited to get these names wrong, but we have Piero Elisha from 1889 by, God, Theophile Alexandra Steinlin. Um, I don't need to explain this one. It's a baby Piero holding a cat that looks like a goblin. Um, and I've actually genuinely been looking at getting this as a tattoo because it goes so hard. Um, I think clowns and cats are an underrated combo. Next up we have Bonjour Piero by Ethel Wright from 1893. In this one, Piero looks on as a woman tickles him with a feather, dull to the mockery, finding companionship with a chained up dog. Uh, shit just sucks for Piero, to be honest. And finally, The Jewel After the Masquerade from 1857 by Jean-Léon Jérôme. Um, and just to nail home that idea, here is Piero fucking around and finding out after losing a jewel. There's a few versions of this painting, but I think this is the OG and the best, I believe. In summary, Piero suffered for his drip and will go down as an all-timer. Would you swipe right on Piero? Let me know. Next up we have McBozo. So finally, we turn to the United States, a country renowned for clownery, as is the UK, so don't get offended. Um, have you heard of Capitol Records? It's a California-based record label. Capitol Records was, and is, the US label of the Beatles, Nat King Cole, Miles Davis, the Beach Boys, and even iSpice. They also had a mascot called Bozo the Clown. If you don't have Whiplash yet, buckle in, bitch. As Capitol Records released read-along audiobooks on vinyl back in the day, Bozo became a popular character with such hits as Bozo at the Dog Show from 1954 and, of course, Bozo Meets the Moon Goon from 1959. But to be fair to them, illustrated Bozo isn't that creepy, actually. He's just a goofy little guy. So, you know, it may not have seemed a foregone conclusion that Bozo would become a terrifying nightmare who has been copied in countless horror films of the A and B grade variety for decades. Looking at you, Pennywise. What made Bozo interesting is that he essentially became a franchise like a McDonald's. His likeness was licensed out to various channels that could produce their own Bozo with their own actor and so on. This helped Bozo spread far and wide, much more so of course than Joey or Piero as archetypal clown figures, with actors as far as Brazil taking up the mantle by the 1980s. The signature red hair, white face paint, red button nose, oversized frilly clothing and big shoes is to many the classic clown and also the reason a lot of people hate clowns which you know fair enough remember when i said bozo is like the mcdonald's of clowns like 30 seconds ago well what if there was a mcdonald's of clowns at mcdonald's and what if he was based on bozo and what if the first person to play him was willard scott a Washington, D.C.-based Bozo actor from 1959 to 1962. Well, that would truly explain the haunting image above. 
Ronald McDonald landed in 1963, appearing on TV sets nationwide in 1965, and I've included a link. I dare you to click on it. I dare you. To even try and attempt the plethora of ways Ronald has been depicted over the years would be impossible. He's been TV, film, toys, music, artwork, sculptures, a politicised abstraction of global capital and labour struggle, you name it. But let me include briefly some of my favourite depictions of Ronald over the years until I run out of email, which I did. Donald Land from 1988 for the Nintendo Entertainment System was actually the first McDonald's video game and was only released in Japan. The game centres around an evil wizard, stealing all the other random-ass characters from the McDonald's lore, the Hamlet, Burglar and such. Welcome back, by the way, sir. And Donald has to Mario his way through various enemies using apples that explode. You can watch this playthrough to learn more. It's it's essentially Mario, but shit, uh, which sums up 90% of platformers from 1981 onwards, if we're being honest. Next up we have The Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald, which was a mini-series that ran for six episodes and was only available as a VHS that could be gained by dining at a McDonald's between 1998 and 2003. It has a Mickey Mouse clubhouse element to it if you were to take acid and immediately induce a stroke. This video is actually genuinely scary and horrified me in various ways, but the set, the characters, the plot, the music, the, the scene, if you will, is top-notch. And finally, finally, I leave you with this diptych. Um, an Instagram post from Ronald himself as he flosses to a Fat Joe song and this article from Vice which makes the fairly convincing case that Ronald is dead. I hope you've enjoyed this long read about some of my favourite clowns and their histories. I'm sorry this is late. Um, April's been really busy for me but we got it over the line. If you would like to write for Rat Depot or submit your artwork, your music, your photography, your Ronald McDonald memorabilia, give me a DM on Instagram or an email at paullewis.pk at gmail.com, or a comment down below if you're reading on Substack. That's all for now. I'll speak to you soon. Love, Paulie.